Hello and welcome to the second episode of Zeitgeist. I'm Priha Syed and with me today is Palak Sharma. Yes, I am excited to be in conversation with an old pal I met in London back in 2013. But aside from that, Palak is just exceptional at what she does. She is dedicated to her work in the fields of economics and policy analysis and something a little less mainstream. You have to keep listening to find out what that's about. And while all that aside, today we discuss an article she wrote just this month, exploring a quote unquote new set of economic challenges for the labor class in India in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. We hope you're keeping safe. But before we move on, you need to hear that mandatory ZCRD plugin. So keep <laughs> listening ahead. Zenulapin Collective for Research and Discourse is a platform for scholastic individuals to come together in their love for scholarship and help just about everyone to grow in the process. At ZCRD, we pioneer the novel culture of casual scholastic engagement. Welcome to the collective. I'm Priha and you're listening to Zeitgeist in conversation with Palak. Hey Palak, thanks for joining. Hope you're keeping well. Thank you. I'm well. How are you? So now finally, I'd like for you to introduce us to the article that you wrote. It's titled The Platform on which you published it, etc. The article was titled Coronavirus and the Tragic Dynamics of Labor Economics in India on the leaflet which writes mainly on legal policy but i'm not a lawyer so i wrote my opinion on the economic changes occurring due to the labor laws that have been suspended in some states coupled with the migrant crisis and that occurring during the time of coronavirus so then my first question actually is in your title the term labor economics what does that mean what is that comprised of exactly So labor economics studies the labor force and mainly how wages and unemployment are affecting the market through spending and consumption. For example, it's how laborers in the market sell their skills for a wage, how that wage is calculated depending on the climate and nature of work and also how it affects their families and communities ability to grow and gain new skills. The value offered is also counted and received in the labor market. and comes down to a lot of negotiating power and right now the indian laborers are losing that negotiating power due to suspension of labor laws right and um so what is the labor population in india look like according to the economic survey conducted in india's fiscal year of 2016 the count of migrant workers was 100 million that's 10 crore and now in 2020 it's estimated to have reached 120 million which is 12 crore So it's close to 20% of the whole population. But the data on the migrant population is relatively old and scattered where even the state governments do not know how many workers from UP are in Maharashtra and how to safely evacuate them as things continue to change even now. It's estimated that there are more men than women overall, but looking at this interesting fact you'll be shocked that women migrant workers exceed migrant men. in the number employed for the construction sector in urban areas by 67% and 
and 73% in rural areas and migrant men exceed women in manufacturing and services jobs so you can see how india's access to education and skills is distributed between the male child and the female child and also that women are paid less and one element that i did briefly mention in my article is that many studies from india highlight how the seasonal migrants and laborers are often people from less privileged or low castes and communities which worsens the economic burden when they move to a big city and this social stigma has made it unable for them to gain the full benefits of migration so this population is facing the crisis as a special set of economic challenges rooted in history with previously low saving capacity and have lived with disappointingly low wages even before the pandemic so their nutrition and economic capability to handle this crisis is weak and needs a lot more government support i also wish to know extending from this out of genuine curiosity um the union culture in india so you keep talking about the negotiating power um of the laborers especially in these times so we know that this culture this union culture was endorsed and strengthened from the times of nehru who had an obviously socialist bent even though he might not have been directly patronized by the soviet union back in the cold war times to endorse socialist protections and economic ideologies but he was a founding member of the non-aligned countries during the cold war and so i imagine um that the union culture or that ethos comes from an extension of a larger political ideology so i'd like your comment on that the non-aligned movement definitely elevated india's focus on socialist culture because it further aligned with trade unions but just like many movements the labor union also had a major role during the indian independence struggle against the british as a sign of rebellion and unity which also occurred mainly in big cities like mumbai bangalore and ahmedabad which continue to steal the spotlight with income concentration today such as the bombay textile strike of 1924 binni mill strike in bangalore 1926 and there were countless more strikes in union collectives which saw major public support even with support from mahatma gandhi who was leading in the ahmedabad strike of 1918 where a demand for a 35% raise in wages was proposed with his arbitration now i'll give you a little backdrop of this historical strike because this is an extremely interesting because it also coincided with a pandemic which was the spanish flu or influenza epidemic during which the daily allowance for factory workers was increased 70 to 80% as opposed to now where the daily allowance has been frozen by the indian government until july 2021 that time in 1918 it was increased 70 to 80% per day so the influenza flu had a daily bonus but as the flu subsided and the first world war ended in 1918 the workers saw that their daily pandemic bonus would be removed without any increase in wages so then gandhi ji advocated for a 35% increase in wages which was a just demand and a practical middle ground for the workers as well as for the factory owners but since the factory owners thought 35% was too much mahatma gandhi had then held his first 
and very historical fast which is the satyagraha fast in india on 15th of march 1918 the satyagraha movement was a movement that proposed non-violent resistance for the truth and it became a global phenomena which even inspired martin luther king jr to visit india a decade after gandhi's death to learn about satyagraha the non-violent unity for the truth and all of this started from labor rights during a pandemic that india was facing and so was the world but in india's current pandemic experience the laborers are getting a very different treatment the daily allowance as we discussed has been frozen till july 2021 11 major states have suspended major labor laws that we're going to talk about and that's for the next 3 years and india has also seen the lowest unionized labor force in the world so a lot has changed trade unions are extremely against the suspension of labor laws as you can imagine for the of next course. 3 years uh and they have happened in majorly bjp ruled states like uttar pradesh maharashtra rajasthan gujarat goa madhya pradesh uttarakhand assam punjab haryana and himachal pradesh and 10 major trade unions of india have already lodged a joint complaint with the ilo the international labor organization so you can see how the movement of pushing the labor demand is moving its style the style was initially of getting influential figures like gandhi ji within the country that could appeal to the central government or to the government that existed then but now the amount of leadership that is available to them is very less because political forces have overtaken that local state unions have also demanded a removal of the suspension and their demands have reached the indian president's office with the request to reject these ordinances and he will have power to decide whether the suspension of laws should be overturned or not and we wait till this dilution of laws is considered wrong not only in the face of human rights but also economically weakening the workforce of india my god so so how do you um so how do you see this translating in reality by this i mean um the fact this evolution of the labor market in the sense that labor laws have weakened union culture has weakened so in terms of the generic labor condition what does it look like in india now it's quite tragic and getting obviously worse due to the crisis because the levels of migration with the drastic population and unbelievable levels of inequality make it even worse where the top 10% of the indian population holds 77% of total national so now okay. i'd like for you to give a small summary about this urban to rural exodus of migrant labor that you mentioned in your article what happened once lockdowns were announced across the country why did the migrant labor population find itself so stranded and how did this walking home phenomenon start um and of course there were tragedies that unfolded in the process right absolutely if you could tell us about some of them so you can observe how the weak social structure that we spoke of and the tragic levels of income inequality and weakened labor voice over the years will play out when coupled with a national lockdown imposed due to the covid-19 spread in india It started as a one-day exercise on Sunday with two days' notice, and 
The same week on Tuesday 24th of March the government announced a 21 day lockdown with 4 hours of notice with the complete suspension of transportation So overall it shocked the system because before the lockdown came after 2 days of speculation on how it's going to be followed by a one day trial and the day after came the 21 day lockdown with 4 hours of notice Now you can imagine what this means for the poorest working class population that has to pay rent with their meager wages. This lockdown shut all economic activity immediately and also had police patrolling around all parts of the country and beating people with batons which we in India call lathis because people weren't complying. So evidently since work was under a strict lockdown factories and manufacturing units started laying off wage daily wage workers. and this population does not have large savings and lives on their daily wages and as they saw the expenses of food electricity and rent pile up without 21 days of pay their ability to sustain was diminishing and we are asked to stay home but what about the people who can't afford to stay home because they can't afford rent and food in the expensive cities and it's coupled with the nationwide transportation lockdown so the only way to go home was to walk on foot oh god yeah and it was with whatever they can carry and of course their families which included young children sometimes infants also the handicapped and even pregnant women and all of these people are walking without any access to food water or rest stops and you can't even rest on the empty streets it just gets sadder and sadder because if you rest on the streets for too long the police will bother you and 16 such migrant workers were resting on train tracks because they were ordered not to walk on the highway and were mowed down by a train in Aurangabad and only after that the supreme court issued a statement saying that no one shall monitor or stop migrants from walking so they are walking to their homes where their families are and they are walking for 700 800 kilometers which is about 500 miles because they had no other option until the first 79 days from the beginning of the lockdown trains are organized only on the 1st of may but until then we had already seen 200 migrant deaths caused due to the exodus so it's a really breaking heartbreaking humanitarian crisis i guess we could move on to highlighting the government's failure to ensure policy measures in the wake of covid that were in touch with people's needs uh, and not so short notice everything from the closure of transportation um the hurdles for migrants to walk home um and then this amendment to labor laws started mm-hmm. by the states so to what extent has the government's policy of self dependence and is there a is there a, a local jingo for this self dependence it's just What the it same thing in, in hindi atmanirbharta atman atmanirbharta yeah or atmanirbhar the self dependence yes. that is yes so do you think that um that sort of noble virtue has exacerbated if not outright caused this crisis noble virtue as propagated by the government not the essence of that word itself of course <laughs> so it's it's disappointing but i uh, the i feel that the strategy of self dependence has preceded its announcement 
because even before that there has been an issue with their transportation as we spoke the transportation only began 79 days after the crisis began so uh, the lockdown began where government organized buses and social distances and trains could have started then and they hadn't so they could have been there with the same precautions of masks or any face coverings and a lot more could have been achieved if that gap of 79 days was avoided and could have helped us get ahead in the crisis and avoid the number of positive cases that we have today the exception of transportation availability did begin as shramik trains later on and it they came as a special service to help them but it had its own hygiene issues took many wrong routes and caused deaths due to the lack of food and water available so i'd like you to talk more about uh, specifically about the challenges caused by the change in labor laws now because that's a very integral part of your article now all of these states which we spoke of which is maharashtra gujarat goa mp uttarakhand assam punjab haryana and himachal pradesh have frozen daily allowances uh, 12 hour work day which was reversed to 8 hours in rajasthan and up but all of these states collectively have no rights to file redressal access to basic hygiene washrooms and all of that is left to the mercy of the mill owners or factory owners but this is only where labor laws exist because it's worse that 90% of the labor force falls outside the coverage of formal labor laws so if you want to do something revolutionary for labor laws and the economy then why not make laws that cover people under the organized market by simplifying laws that make them accessible rather than abolishing them but there is a different take on this as the abolition of inspector raj which is being appreciated by everybody this has been blamed to cause inefficiency by giving inspectors of the government enormous power to impose work based regulations with random checking assignments at any time of the day issuing untimely deadlines for factory reports so diluting their undue power is important but this is an extreme measure without any checks where there will be no inspection in the firms employing fewer than 50 workers and no surprise inspections either so this takes away the power of institutional harassment that the inspectors have had and been blamed for but there have been issues where they have been given penalty notices for nitpicky laws such as something as as specific as water must be required to be held for the laborers in a mud jug like a matka yeah so that's ridiculous and so if you have water cooler they'll give you a penalty for it so those things need to be changed but in order to reduce institutional harassment you don't need to take away the right to workplace hygiene washrooms need and accountability so the laws need to be reformed and not repealed along with the basic entitlements but our discussion is at the tip of an iceberg somewhere because there are about 200 state labor laws and 42 central labor laws so the laws are unbelievably entangled and complicated and a law professor of nalsar university and basanti said the legality of this ordinance must be questioned because ordinances are meant to create temporary laws during unforeseen circumstances and they are only valid until the next session in parliament where they must be open to discussions and votes however now they are being used to repeal laws for the next 3 years which crosses the next scheduled session in parliament and a judgment says that ordinances don't create enduring rights so that's one major legal complication that how is an ordinance being used to suspend 
where ordinances are meant to create laws and another legal complication is that many of the laws that are suspended are basic human rights they are in line with article 21 of the indian constitution so then you're going against right to life and personal liberty which recognizes the many points that are now being suspended by these labor laws such as maternity benefit minimum wage as fundamental rights and the right to associate so the inspector raj argument doesn't hold because this kind of extremity is not required for that and the legality of this ordinance is further questionable because this is not how ordinances are meant to be used and goes against fundamental rights are also exploring how the economic impacts at the cross section of um state mandated logistics like travel challenges for instance migrant labor um and the changing laws that govern the everyday condition of this class they're all directly impacting literally the lives of a great number of people in the country so i want your comment on how you would look at this as someone as someone who dabbles in policy to engineer or perhaps hint at a more holistic approach to the handling of such a crisis the approach would have been to prioritize timely transportation that is faster than coronavirus but now as covid positive cases are rising it's to prioritize transportation that is properly available because the lockdown has also been lifted and i'd say that safe and hygienic transportation with assistance in food and water is definitely basic and a level 1 requirement and level 2 requirement is the economic support and the fiscal support basically because the 20 lakh road package which does not cover the crisis at all is pretty much old laws that are repackaged with large availability of loans or moratorium on loans but you yet have to pay them back so it's not support that forgives you moreover it doesn't cover the migrants at all and economists have called for the implementation of jam which is j a m for jandhan aadhar and mobile numbers which can be used together to transfer money into indian bank accounts and inject liquidity in the market the pradhan mantri jandhan yojana was a project to universalize banking in india and at the end of 2016 it claimed to have open bank account for 99% of indians so now is the right time to use it and give money to those who need it the most by direct transfer yeah and um, finally what do you see coming out of this then you did point to some possible sustainable outcomes that could come from this uh, mass of people going back and enriching the labor populations of their respective villages towns and states at large so i want you to um, discuss that aspect mm-hmm. of your analysis also right. to determine that sustainable outcome properly we must remember that 70% of india's population lives in rural areas only 30% lives in urban areas so according to a niti aayog 2017 report we learned that 70% of the rural population in that only 48.7 work in agriculture so more than 50% of rural india works in non agricultural field like manufacturing construction and other services and this sector is so ignored because labor practices are outdated and they want to keep it that way 
but also that agriculture has its own sway in politics and if only something good could come out of this migrant crisis it may be that when coronavirus subsides over time these people who have traveled back this migrant population is going to be an influx of new labor and new workforce that is going to remain in the tier 2 and tier 3 cities of india these cities might observe an increase in highly skilled to at least semi skilled labor force whereas on the other side big cities may not have access to enough cheap labor population which actually might raise the wages to some humane level we hope yes but in the non city areas it serves as a rebuilding opportunity and we can also create an occasion for diverse skills sharing because this population does not want to go back to the cities considering the way they were treated by the factory workers and also their ability to locate is completely fractured relocation requires a lot of economic consequences which now they cannot take obviously so kanak i feel like we've covered just about every aspect of your article and more about you <laughs> oh goodness Vipalak, I cannot thank you enough for making this happen and sharing your excellent research with ZCRD and all your insights. For our listeners, if you want to get in touch with Palak, you can find her blog on greenergrassroots.com. Her Twitter handle and the link to Palak's article are in the show notes of this podcast that you can see on the description of this post on the ZCRD Instagram page. As always, thanks for your encouraging responses, your engagement with the platform and for listening to Zeitgeist every week. I will now bid adieu till next week. Sunday of course. Keep listening to Zeitgeist and follow ZCRD on Instagram.